Hey, I'm Aldwin. And I'm Jason. And this is the Ready Play Tennis Podcast. New balls, please. Why I didn't get excuse me? Can you talk louder so everyone can hear you asking me about my drugs? I mean, if we had Hawkeye, you would be so freaking embarrassed right now. Well, how come they can say whatever they want to me? Oh, it's old talent. That don't work. I just sit on the couch. I don't want to look like I am I going to be his boyfriend. Ready? Play. Welcome to the Ready Play Tennis Podcast. I'm Jason. Oh, I just took a sip of my drink. And I'm Aldwin. (laughs) (laughs) That was bad timing. Um, How are you? How are you? You know what? I'm... I'm so fine, but I think this is the longest that I haven't seen you in a very long time. <laughs> That's we were true. just talking yeah, about it. We, we, you know, we, we usually play tennis, but again, as our listeners know, you've been injured. And I was away at the Cottage for a week, so were you. Yeah. And yeah, seeing your face again is like weird. Yeah, I know. We've had a bit of time away, but now we're back. In the saddle, we have both come from our respective cottages. Uh, mine with a friend, you with a bunch of friends, mm. and uh, I have moved out of my condo and into a new residence. So, all of that is well and good. And now we're hopefully going to get back on the court tomorrow. Injury yes. update for me is I am injury free at the moment. Yay! So. We shall see uh, how that goes. And I did want to say that the last time I played, uh, there were folks who, uh, Marshall and I went to Howard Park early, early a.m., like 6.15, oh my God. because we're crazy <laughs> like that. And there were uh, a couple guys who came and played on the court beside us. And one of the things that I realized is I like, when there is the potential that people are watching me play. I don't mm. I don't know what you think about that. Like, uh, I think that, well, I think I've watched many of your GLTA matches. And yeah, I, I mean, I don't necessarily think of you as a person that gets super hyped up when people watch you. But I, I think you're just so even keeled all the time that whether people watch you or not, you kind of do your thing. Yeah, I kind of like the idea or maybe I just play a bit differently or a bit with a bit more confidence <laughs> when I, when other people are watching me play. And I, I think oh. I've noticed that in tournaments and I revisited that, I think, uh, when I played two weeks ago, which was the last time I played and I defeated my opponent. Oh, nice. And so did you get the, the feeling that the your the neighboring court was like stealing some glances your way? I mean, I hope so, because they were also two very good looking gentlemen. <laughs> oh, do, um, OK. Uh, as as your doubles partner, do you know whether I like when people watch me or not? Yes, I would like to know that. Well, do, do you think that do you think that I like when people watch me? Like if I had the choice at a GLTA tournament to be on the main the main stage of RuPaul's Drag Race, <laughs> it, to be on center court or to be on like one of those hidden courts like far, far away, which one do you think I would choose? I think you would choose to be on the center court. Hells to the no. Oh, no. <laughs> I guess I, I don't know much about you. <laughs> I hate when people watch me. I hate it makes me nervous you already know I have a problematic ball toss and when I and it just creeps into my head every time I step to the line to serve what people are going to say when they see my toss and it just messes with my mind so I would rather I actually play so much better when no one is watching Mm. I but you allow people to come watch you if you know if Russell wanted to come watch you or some of the other folks wanted to come see your match yeah, I mean, like, I guess I, uh, you know, to some degree have no shame when I'm playing like an absolute, absolute, like absolutely terrible. But if I had the choice, I would really ask to be put far, far, far away. <laughs> I do. I do 
see that it's different to be on an outer court and people come and watch you play on that outer court versus being at that first court uh, um, at where do, where do we play? Where do we play the, the like, CGO? CGO, Montreal, yeah. Ile des Sœurs, like that viewing, that big viewing area where they have those comfy couches. I mean, and it's also especially nerve wracking if you know you're like, you know, the guy that you want to hook up with is watching you too. Like that makes me right. even more like <laughs> I can't play. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's also fair because you, you know, you want to have performed well on both friends. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Um, well, that's all well and good. And I think, you know, one of the things that people do when they go to the Coupe de la Reine, which is not happening this year, is they're either watching that match on that first court or they're watching coverage of the U.S. Open. So we're going to talk about a very, I guess, controversial, historic match from 2018 today. But we did want to touch on a couple of other things because as your podcast branch covidian czars <laughs> we have been encouraged to call out some other players who have since tested positive or have said some controversial things so uh we were we were asked to talk about francis tiafo mm -hmm. wait before you talk about francis tiafo i just needed to add in there you know the comment that initiated all of this hoopla you know the comment that we posted on on zverev's page we're literally still getting people that are replying to that comment weeks and weeks afterward like as if like as if they they can't get enough of coming for us <laughs> <laughs> like, people do like to do that like story is over but okay that's fine if you want to troll content that was like weeks and weeks old girl you can do that yeah i'm good i'm good with that <laughs> and let's not let's just remember exactly what we said which was that we are glad that you are okay and that you're safe zverev the guy who mm -hmm. went out five days after um being part of that tournament it should have been self-isolating and mm -hmm. that he is setting an example for children that was all with yeah. the, all that we said yeah we 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 didn't come for him like a hundred percent like we don't want to freaking rip his head off but we just wanted to say that obviously we're happy that he's healthy and safe which is true we we both want all the players to be healthy and safe because we love tennis so much um but also to be mindful mm -hmm. i mean we no accusations no um pointing fingers but just to be mindful of who you are and what you represent to tennis fans around the world Exactly. exactly. So, exactly. So, <laughs> healthy and safe, it, it sort of speaks to what is going to be possible in terms of how players get protected at these tournaments. Because, as we mentioned uh, just a minute ago, Francis Tiafo did test positive for COVID 19 while he was playing in that tournament in Atlanta, I believe. Mm -hmm. Correct. Yes, he was in Atlanta. And I didn't read anything about um or any statement from him about how that came to be um i assume he probably was just focused on uh, his own health after being diagnosed mm -hmm. um based on what i read i know that tiafo once he arrived in atlanta was tested and then tested negative um and he played a match i'm not sure exactly with who i think it was isner maybe it wasn't uh, it was another american player but um, during his match, he had complained of feeling a little dizzy, a little drowsy, got tested again, and at that point tested positive, at which point the exhibition tournament director, you know, went into like full like sanitation mode um, and uh, Tiafo actually left the exhibition. So, I mean, he did the right thing. I mean, if you're going to compare apples to apples, like I tried trolling the internet as I usually do at night before I go to sleep to see if <laughs> I could find Tiafo up in the club. Because as we all know, if you've been to Hotlanta before, there's a lot of clubs that Tiafo could be at. But no, he was 
so his social media was silent and all we can expect as fans is that he did the right thing and was responsible he contracted the virus from somebody obviously and he just removed himself from the situation unlike Zverev who was not only called out once for being at the club but then called out a second time for being at the club again at a restaurant partying with all his friends oh Zverev <laughs> we tried to give you high praise the last episode, but <laughs> I think it's it'd be interesting to know uh, the time frame between when he tested negative the first time and when he tested positive. Mm -hmm. And I know those tests are they're not always perfect. So um, I, I assume the way the tenements tenements. Oh, my God. The <laughs> tournaments are going to work going forward is players are going to be tested multiple times uh, during during an event, probably every day, uh, especially before they get on court. And yeah, I, I'm I. I also read a follow-up article, and I, when I read it, I thought of you immediately because they talked about Berrettini. Now, a little quick UTS update. I don't know about the rest of you listeners out there, especially those of you in Norway. Thank you, Norway, for listening <laughs> to our podcast, by the way. Um, so, Jason, do you, do you know who the UTS, the first UTS champion is? I do. Who is she? It's Matteo, baby. Matteo! One of the cutie with the booties. Mm -hmm. He won in sudden he, death. Sudden death? I didn't know that. He beat my husband. Yeah, he beat your your sudsy. Oh. Sudsy pass. Sud <laughs> <laughs> sudsy pass. <laughs> I like that. Anyway, so I read an article about Berrettini. And again, I didn't know this because I guess it's hard to keep up with how the top ATP and WTA players are keeping their form during this time of COVID. But Berrettini won at UTS. Then apparently he flew to Austria and played the, you know, the team exhibition, flew somewhere else, played another exhibition. And so it does really call into question, like, you know, with the US Open um, being so imminent, how are like how are players going to be responsible like are players still free to travel across borders i mean i don't know what's your take on all that i do think as the branch covidian czars <laughs> it is going to become our responsibility <laughs> if we are going to continue to call out these players and keep them in check that we understand the travel restrictions for every country <laughs> where there's going to be a tennis <laughs> event. If Otherwise, we're just going to have to say we don't care and then just look into people's positive tests on a case-by-case -case basis. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, it, it, ain't nobody at the ATP and WTA tours going to be tracking every individual player's movements. I mean, I guess that's the difficulty of these times is that we have to really, it's like honor system. Mm -hmm. You know, are you are you going to be responsible? Yeah, I think that's exactly it. It's not going to be easy. It was very easy to track all of the chaos at the Adria tour. Mm -hmm. It's not <laughs> going to be as easy to track the movements of all of the players and their coaching staff and their entourage during three weeks in New York. But we'll see. We'll see mm -hmm. what happens. Yeah. Um, you had mentioned to me earlier, Isner made an interesting comment. Yeah, he said the Corona Bros should stay in your basement. Maybe they play video games. I don't know. <laughs> Corona Bros, I think, refers to people who perhaps have fear and anxiety uh, about COVID-19, who think everything should remain shut down. Uh, and that tennis shouldn't continue. So he was making a comment about that. I yeah. mean, that's a, yeah. That's a, that's like very, that's like coming for everybody. And I, honestly, I think as time passes by, we're kind of in a, in a weird limbo time in respect to 
COVID. I don't know if you're feeling this, but you know, here in Ontario, the cases have been minimal compared to what they were in the springtime. But according to all scientists, you know, in the fall is when we have to really be concerned. Maybe a second wave is coming. Mm-hmm. But I think there's a false sense of security where a lot of people that were very, you know, stringent and practicing all of the, you know, all of the safety measures at the beginning are now starting to loosen up a little bit. So, I mean, I don't know. Isner, I think I think Isner went a bit too far, but I mean, I think there is... I think everyone should be more on the side of practicing safety as opposed to like, okay, well, you know, we got 50 cases in Ontario. Let's open up Woody's and let's all have a drink and make out with each other. <laughs> Woody's is open, <laughs> just their patio. They have a, a makeshift patio at the moment. But yeah, I mean, I think he, he, you know, a comment like Corona Bros should can stay in your basement uh, <laughs> is a bit, it's a bit much. I mean, he could have just led with the other half of his statement, which was, I choose to live my life and play slash promote the sport I love in a safe manner. Mm. That's that a was bit his opening more appropriate. St- that, was his, that was her opening statement? Yeah. He should then, have left it at that. Yeah. And then people called him out for the whole entirety of his statement. And he said, I'm incredibly sorry to hear that. I in no way was downplaying the effect of the virus but I understand that perception can be reality. Sweetheart, don't play that game. <laughs> Honestly, that that is, I didn't. I haven't heard him. I I didn't hear of that statement before. But that's like you just got you just got caught. You said what uh, to quote Nene Leakes from the Housewives of Atlanta to bring it full circle. <laughs> I said what I said. So Isner, take responsibility for what you said. You know, Corona Bros is definitely not like a meek and mild comment. And then now you just called out you just got called out for that and you're going to retract that. Like, come on, just stand up for what you said and whatever. I don't know. Yeah. The branch Covidian czars are checking you (laughs) and you better check yourself before you wreck yourself. (laughs) I like that. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Moving on. We have an exciting match. I think this is the first time in our podcast history that Mm. we are covering just a single match. And I th- I'm very excited about it because like most of the matches that I love, I keep them on my cable box for a long, long time. <laughs> <laughs> and this would be one of those matches. And I think as we get into it, everyone had an opinion about it. Everyone sort of took a side. And I think a lot of our queens and our sisters in the GLTA world have a love for Serena so there's an ultimate you know move to be on the side of of the player that they love yes and uh, I think we're gonna dive into as much as we can about this particular match which was from the US Open almost two years ago now mm-hmm. the it was a juicy final. one it was yes. juicy I remember <laughs> I was at home it was Saturday afternoon I had some plans for dinner with a friend who was visiting and I needed to stay because it just got juicy as the match went on. (laughs) Um, Okay, let's set the context a little bit. So, um, you know, we had made mention of this match before, but the Vinci Serena match, that was 2015. I actually watched Ah. it again this weekend because it was was replayed on TSN. Thank you, TSN. 2015 and had Serena won that semi-final she would have faced Flavia Panetta and likely would have won her 23rd Grand Slam title or 24th she would have tied Steffi for 22 22 I got it and so now bringing it back to this marquee match that we're going to talk about Serena versus Osaka had Serena won this match she would have then gone to 23 she would have tied Margaret Court for 24, actually. 20. So there was a lot on the line. Yeah. And, you know, going back to the Vinci match, and we won't get into that whole run, but she had just finished the Serena Slam, I think they called it, where she won four Grand Slams in a row, but not in Mm -hmm. the calendar year. And at that U.S. Open, she was going for the calendar slam, which would have been the first time since Steffi had done it. Which yeah. was why it was so ultra dramatic. But we're not here to yeah. talk about that particular match. 
No, but I mean, I think it's important for all all our listeners to get into the mood before we dive into this analysis that, you know, Serena was playing Osaka, a major underdog at the time, even though you looked at her route to the U.S. Open final that year and she played phenomenally well. But Serena, in her mind, undoubtedly was saying, hey, listen, I'm not playing one of the top female players you know, uh, of that during that summer season. And this was her chance to tie Margaret Court. So, mm-hmm. you know, as we all know, Serena can get very emotional on the court, especially when the stakes are very, very high. So yeah. just keep that in mind as we get into it. I think, yeah, I think you made a good point to sort of set the stage. She, she does sort of bring the drama and that's not a, um, a slight on her. It just sort of is what it is. And, um, Mary Jo Fernandez described it well when I was watching the Vinci match is that she sort of lets you in to her, Mm -hmm. um, the emotions that she's feeling on the court. Unlike Mm -hmm. other players, she, she, she called Steffi Graf robotic and in making a (laughs) comparison, which I thought, (laughs) I, I think, you know, she, she's probably just a bit more, um, I don't know what the word is a bit, more sort of like me i guess i, I okay honestly <laughs> you lit, you literally stole the words right out of your uh, right out of my mouth again as the number one steffi graf fan i've watched literally all of her matches steffi for her to show any kind of emotion on the court was a rare rare occasion and people so thirsted to be inside the brain of Steffi Graf that, you know, when she let her guard down every now and then in a match, when she screamed and she was excited that she hit a winner, it just made you so much more, I guess, attracted to her. But then conversely, as you just said, Serena, Serena wears her emotions on her sleeve. And that's the reason why people love her so much. I mean, again, I'm going to say very quickly, her comeback win in the Australian Open against Maria Sharapova, I believe it was 2005, where she was out and out made me a big fan of Serena. So, you know, that's why people love her because she just, she just lays it all on the line Mm -hmm. for people to see. Yeah. So in this match, as you said, there was a lot on the line. You know, she had (laughs) just, sort of returned from being off on maternity leave. Mm-hmm. She wore that cat suit at the French Open. <laughs> oh, if you recall. Did not like. Did not I think like. she made the fourth round at the French Open. She ended up withdrawing, but then she made the Wimbledon final. Mm-hmm. And that's that's what she does. She comes back and she doesn't necessarily need a ton of warm-up tournaments, but you know that she's training and she just comes back and make the final. And then she made the final again at the U.S. Open against Osaka. And mm-hmm. I think one of the most interesting narratives for me about this particular match is that she just, she didn't play well, to be honest. Yeah, she, she didn't play well. In this particular match, she did not play well. I mean, she went down 4-1 right away. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, she wasn't serving well. She double faulted three times in the first three service games. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, a lot of... Uh, I watched the match again, and Chrissy was acknowledging the fact that Osaka wasn't sort of seeming to be nervous and that she was up for the occasion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, we saw glimpses of the Osaka that we see now in 2020, you know, now two-time Grand Slam champion winning the Australian Open, I believe. So, you know, you can really see it in the mark of a champion, especially in their first slam win, particularly in this match against Serena. Like, real true champions that, you know, stamp themselves in Tennis Hall of Fame they go up against the big giant killers and they don't back down. So this was Osaka's match. This was this was her game. And yes, she didn't necessarily have to play phenomenally well, but considering that I can't freaking toss a ball in front of other gay tennis players at like the lowest level of competitive tennis possible, you know, she's a, I, I believe a teenager at the time in her first Grand Slam final against arguably the best tennis player of all time. And she was like, this is going to be my number one. This is going to be my number one. Yeah. So. Yeah. And I think, you know, perhaps she just had in her head, you know, I'm playing my idol and I'm just going to go for it. And 
see what happens. Yeah. So okay, let's let's think. Let's go right into it. So I mean, the first set happened in a blink, didn't it? She won the first set six two. She won the first set six two. She went up four one right away. Mm-hmm. Uh, she she was barely making any errors in those first seven games. She made four errors. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, Serena's serve was was serving at forty percent, so she wasn't really getting any first serves uh, on the court, which I guess was helpful to Naomi yeah. with that yeah. wicked forehand. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, so she took the f- the first set six two fairly easily. Yeah, fairly easily, and I think, well, not I think, I know, we all know, the drama started <laughs> in the second set. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as a Serena fan, I, n- well, not just, beca- not just because I am a Serena fan, but every tennis person with eyeballs around the world knows that you might have won the first set against Serena Williams, but do not ever count her out. And so... Didn't she go up, I believe, 3-1 in the second set? Like She, yeah, came, she, she went up 3-1. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she broke uh, Naomi. Um, and then Naomi broke back. But where, where the controversy started was at Love 1, when ah. there was that motion that Patrick Mortoglu <laughs> made during the match, <laughs> which was witnessed by the chair umpire, Monsieur Carlos Ramos from Portugal. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Let's. Well, we definitely have to break that down. So mm-hmm. just as you said, love one. Um, Moradoglu made some kind of... I remember watching it on TV. Moradoglu made some kind of movement with his arms, like as if to say to Serena, move forward, like take, like step into the court. And Carlos Ramos... Ramos called her out on that that ended up being her first violation and they had a lovely exchange <laughs> between the two of them didn't they yes <laughs> what did she say she said something about uh, I'd rather lose I, I I don't cheat to win I'd rather lose basically yeah she's like I've never cheated in my entire life I would rather lose and I would never cheat and then I believe she you know, being the new mother that she was, she included, you know, little Olivia mm-hmm. in in that exchange. She's like, I am a mother and I do right by my daughter. <laughs> and you know what? I would never cheat. How dare you? How dare you call me a cheater? <laughs> no, I'm paraphrasing, but essentially that was the exchange that, that took place between the two of them. Yeah, and I think what is interesting about that particular moment is while she heard the violation I think from the umpire she didn't actually f- in some way compute that that it was actually a violation that would go against her later in the match because mm-hmm. she I don't know she felt like she was uh, standing up for herself in that moment and maybe that that was enough um, and for some for some reason thought that Carlos was going to reverse the decision because she called him out in that moment but that was obviously not the case uh the mm-hmm. other thing that i thought was interesting in re-watching the match was chrissy ever thought that he was telling her to move in to mm-hmm. the net and it was you mean you mean moradoglu was telling serena serena to move okay. in moradoglu thought that she didn't see his signal but like the next point or the next point after that she started moving into the net which i thought was interesting so Ah. it does beg the question as to whether she actually saw the signal and whether they actually have a signal because she claimed that they did not have signals well i mean i think i read somewhere that coaches i mean come on let's let's just let's just call a spade a spade here I read and I've seen, you've seen, we've all seen, coaches being caught on all, on essentially every professional match that's televised doing some kind of secret code with their players. And it's, it's commonly known on both tours that coaches do have signals that they send their players. And didn't Muradoglu admit afterward that he was coaching? Yes, he did, yes. So yeah. then, you know what, like, yeah, I mean... Do we call Serena a liar? We don't have concrete evidence that, you know, 
I mean, if this was like a if this was a court case and we were the prosecution, I mean, it is a bit suspect that she started coming to the net right after that quote unquote coaching call. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I don't know that I saw anything that said specifically what his coaching gesture meant, but that was sort of what Chrissy felt he was uh, meaning with his motion, and that's what she. Uh, ended up doing in the next points after that. Um, Mm -hmm. But later in the match, she got what she felt was her first violation when she (laughs) smacked the racket after she went up a break and then lost the break. Yeah, so this was when um, Serena was up 3-1 and just had gotten broken so that it was on serve 2-3, Osaka serving Mm 2-3. Right, so she... I mean, this isn't the first time that Serena's broken a racket. And, like, when I look at this match in retrospect, I mean, yes, she did receive a first violation for the coaching. The The, the racket one is, I think, of all the violations, the most plain and, and obvious to see. Like, come on. Like, you break a racket, pretty obvious for everyone that you've, you know, you've, you've uh, you know, gotten a violation. And so, I guess, yeah, like you said, in her mind, it was her first. Yeah. And I think what's most interesting about that is she didn't hear, I think, the violation. Uh-huh. So this was the violation came as they were about to do a changeover. So being that it was her second violation, she lost a point. So it mm-hmm. was already uh, 15 love or love 15. I forget who was serving. Osaka was serving. So it was 15 love. And that caused some confusion because in her mind, she didn't have a second violation. This was her first. Mm -hmm. And if, if I'm not mistaken, correct me if I'm wrong, when, you know, after the confusion was kind of settled, when she had approached the chair, she said to him, you owe me an apology. She's like, I am not a, she, what did she say? She's like, I am not a cheater. You know, you, you owe me an apology. You need to make an announcement. She's like, I, now I remember. She's like, you need to make an announcement to the entire stadium that I am not a cheater and that, you know, that essentially I'm not a cheater. So, yeah, I don't deserve to get a point penalty. Yeah, so Pam Shriver said uh, the state of mind that Serena was in, given the acoustics in the stadium, she didn't hear that it was 15 love. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was really one of the disjointed parts of the controversy that mm-hmm. Serena thought the racket break was the first code violation. So it would mm-hmm. have just been a warning instead of a point penalty. So that's when mm-hmm. when she heard the call score, uh, the, the score called 15 love. She approached the chair umpire and asked, uh, what, why are you doing that? And that's when she said, you need to tell the audience that I did not get coaching. <laughs> Now, okay, as we're discussing this, I think it's important to, you know, look at all the angles. I mean, I don't know what you think, Jay, but when I saw the playback of this particular moment, I genuinely thought that she was surprised. You yeah. know, I don't I don't think that she played off like, okay, you know, I got a violation and then now I broke my racket, now it's going to be love 15. She legitimately walked to the due side of the court, you know, ready no, 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 ready to, yes, ready to receive. And, I mean, it just kind of begs the question, like, did, maybe we can, again, delve into this when we talk about the third violation, but, you know, it seems to me that when we do watch a lot of professional matches, a lot of players, both women and men, you know, are allowed to get away with a lot of things. And violations aren't necessarily called um, officially, but they've only received verbal warnings that don't constitute actual violations. So, I mean, on like on the stage of the final of the women's U.S. Open, was really Carlos Ramos Ramos within his? Well, yes, he was within his right, but was it necessarily the place to do that? I don't know. I'm not mm-hmm. so sure. Are you talking about the coaching call? <laughs> yeah, about the, the about. As I said, listen, when you break a racket, that's an obvious violation. That's yeah. a misnomer. Everyone knows that that's a violation. But in terms of a coaching call, I've seen umpires say to players on changeovers, I'm like, hey, listen, I think you're, I, I think that you're receiving signals from your coach. If I see it again, it's going to be a violation. He just mm-hmm. went straight to violation, which 
to me is obvious like Serena was obviously not used to I think in her mind she thought that she was just getting a quote-unquote warning and not necessarily get getting a violation so Mm -hmm. yeah uh, Chrissy Everett said that he would have liked Ramos to have given her a soft warning just mm-hmm. lean over and say, I thought I saw coaching from Patrick. The next time I see it, I'm going to give you uh, a, a violation. Yeah. So, I mean, listen, he just he would just went right to the violation. He, so. he, he did. And it is the rule. And he went to the place of this is the U.S. Open final. I think of all of the matches with all of the players watching and all of the fans, I think we need to abide by the rules. So that that was... I guess what he decided to do, not necessarily siding with him in any way, but that that was the decision. And the ITF uh, after the match um, so, uh, supported the decision that he made. Yeah. I mean, rules are rules. Yes. But I mean, like if he is if he is clearly behaving as an umpire out of line with how all the other umpires referee their matches, then there has to be consistency. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? I, I personally believe, <laughs> every time I hear I personally believe, I go right to like Miss Team <laughs> USA. <laughs> I mean, I think, and I do agree with Chrissy, that a soft warning would have been the appropriate thing to do at that time. Yeah. Yeah, so that was at 2-3. Mm-hmm. Osaka held her serve, and that Serena obviously had this in her mind at that particular moment that this was now something that was on her mind and irritating her. <laughs> Sorry, I said that twice. Um, so she was clearly, I guess, a bit rattled by that. Um, and one of the things that uh, Chris Fowler said, who was the commentary, uh, he said the next warning would be a game penalty. So th- this mm. was just before... Um, the changeover where Serena was broken. Uh, Mm -hmm. So it was now, uh, she was now up four, three. And during the changeover, there was a heated exchange. (laughs) Yes. Okay. Uh, I, I think it's important to discuss before we get into the heated exchange, which is kind of like the climax of this entire match. um, What, Chris Fowler was perhaps alluding to when he said that she was going to get a game penalty. And, you know, we obviously you and I discussed this before, but Serena does have a history at the U.S. Open. Um, she faced Kleisters. Help me out here. What year was that? 2009. 2009, where she famously, and I, I don't think this is confirmed, but I mean, there's tape of it everywhere, where she was called in a foot fault by one of the line's judges, and she grabbed a ball, or where she had a ball in her hand, and she was shaking her racket at the line's judge, <laughs> and she said, what did she say? I have it somewhere. I gotta I'm look gonna that up. I'm going to shove this ball down your effing throat. <laughs> yeah. And she got defaulted for that. Yeah. So that line's that- judge scampered over to the umpire and said that <laughs> Serena told her that she was going to kill her. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, that's also very important to set the stage because everyone in, in you know, at, at uh, Louis Armstrong uh, Arena, you and I, the commentators, like this was all kind of floating around in our minds as this third incident was about to happen. Yeah, it was, I guess, a bit of foreshadowing and perhaps Chris Fowler felt there was a possibility of it or was just sort of letting the audience know amongst all of the chaos that was happening um, within the match and with the umpire that this would be the third violation and there was no discrepancy that the umpire had already called to, even though Serena was contesting that the racket smash was only the first one Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so during that changeover uh, (laughs) apparently a lot was said but i think the it seems like the big things that led to the violation for verbal abuse (laughs) was ramos being called a thief for stealing a point from her (laughs) and being uh uh, called a, a liar or calling her a liar. Mm-hmm. Now, okay. So 
in Carlos Ramos's mind, being called a thief and being called a liar constituted the third violation, which garnered, um, uh, you know, the loss of a game for Serena Williams. It begs the question, was he within his right? Like, do you think that as a, as a referee being called a thief and a liar, um, you would have made the same call? Me? No. Or, 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 or yeah. I think this is the instance where it sort of went off the rails and he probably should have just let her blow off the steam and the uh, the feelings that she was having. He should have just let it go. Because mm-hmm. she know, was, I... as you said, she was having these, uh, she would have been having these memories of, of being... Uh, hard done by and being cheated in the past in this particular moment probably Mm -hmm. and you know what I think what followed that this interaction was Serena calling the um, you know the tournament chair and there so there are two people that came out I, I wish I knew their names maybe you can google that in the meantime but that's when you know, she added another dimension to this whole entire dramatic women's U.S. Open final where she said, you know, I, I have heard and you know this, she said to the gentleman that she was speaking to and to the to the lady that men on the courts have said far worse than liar and thief and they have gotten away with it. It's because I am a woman that I am getting this violation. Now, that's a that's a loaded can of worms to add because, you know, it does. I remember being in my grade eight classroom the next day and discussing with my students, you know, what did you think about this entire situation? Do you think it was sexist for the Carlos Ramos Ramos to call this third violation on Serena Williams? Do you think that men get away with um, poor behavior on the court? And because Serena Williams is a female that she got called out for it now. Personally speaking, I I have seen a lot of men's matches where a lot of a lot of things have been said to uh, to each other. Like I think about the Murray and uh, Fabio Fanini exchange, mm-hmm. where they talked about each other's or no no Fanini talked about Murray's mother. That girl did not get a violation for that. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And you know I do believe that there is there is a lot that men get away with. Do I necessarily think that? It's because she was a woman that she was, um, you know, that she got the violation, not necessarily. But I do think that Carlos Ramos went overboard by giving her the game penalty. I do. Yeah, I think it was a bit much in the context of the moment. And in that moment, he steered the narrative of the match and, and perhaps steered where the match would go in the end mm-hmm. because it, it allowed Osaka to go up an entire game so she was now up 5-3 she didn't have to serve at all mm-hmm. yeah 5-3 and um, Serena ended up holding serve I believe to fo- like you know four points in a row and Osaka served the championship out and mm-hmm. it was a 6-3 6-4 win Six, six two six, six four. Oh, six two six four. Yeah. So in this uh, little article that I pulled up, Pam Triver again said, "When you get called a liar and a thief in a U.S. <laughs> Open final, uh, Ramos had a choice. He could have let it go, somehow gotten her to calm down and get ready to play, but he made the choice of verbal abuse, and this was the third code violation." Um, <laughs> It was also the second one to me where Ramos could have gone either way. So as we discussed, he could have gone either way with the coaching and he could mm-hmm. have gone either way with the 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 liar thief violation. But he mm. went on on the side of penalizing Serena in both cases. So it could it could be, you know, it's hard to know. You'd have to perhaps watch Ramos's refereeing or umpiring of several female matches to see if there's sort mm-hmm. of a sexist edge i i would be hesitant to jump to that conclusion right away but mm-hmm. i would just sort of straight out say that the third 
violation was something that he shouldn't have gone in that direction. Yeah, I mean, I make the um, I make the comparison as a teacher. You know, yes, I teach children, and Serena Williams is certainly not a child, but I believe the same, you know, the same kind of philosophy applies, whether in sport or whether in the classroom. You know, three strikes you're out, especially with, with children, you know, you don't say as, uh, as an educator that, you know, a kid has three strikes. There's, there's a lot of gray. There's a lot of, like, approaching, discussing, letting people cool off, letting steam cool off, you know, making people aware of their behavior. And that's what you do. You Three strikes really isn't three strikes unless they're outright and they're defiant. And in this case with Carlos Ramos, he literally, he li- like, was he within his right to call her out on all those violations? I personally believe 100%. The rule book states such, state state that and he was for sure within his right but there's a difference between having the rules and the application of the rules and i think that in general uh, across the atp and wta if the rules are not applied in the way that carlos did in that final then he definitely did something he was he was out of touch Mm -hmm. he was for sure out of touch yeah and of course uh naomi went on to win (laughs) the match (laughs) she held to win 6-4 and you know for me it's and the debate will uh, will be go on forever and ever um and that's why we have a podcast because we can debate it Mm -hmm. that she certainly had the the potential to come back in that match of course she always does Mm -hmm. overall naomi played better yes despite all of the incidents and and distractions Naomi played way better than Serena in that match and that's sort of why it's so unfortunate that it devolved in the way that it did because it overshadowed a young and up and coming star who is now <laughs> who now makes more money in endorsements than the opponent that she beat that day uh, because it was her first Grand Slam and that's that is really unfortunate. Yeah, I I believe that had Carlos not made those violations, I mean, obviously you never know, but it was at Naomi's time. It was Naomi's time to win. And as I mentioned to you before, like what I find such a shame is that, you know, this is a teenager winning her first Grand Slam, I believe the first of many, many more to come. And she was invited on, you know, the morning talk show circuit the next day. And literally 85% of the conversation that she, of, of the questions that she fielded were about Serena. You know, did you know that Serena was doing this at the time? Did you know that she had received a code violation? Were you confused? You know, talk about Serena Williams being your idol, you know, as a kid. And it's like, if I were, if I were Naomi, I, I, I would be sitting in that chair being like, listen, I respect Serena. I played Serena. I beat Serena. Let's start asking questions about me, sweetie. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, let's let's talk about my wicked forehand and my wicked serve. Yeah. So it is a shame. Agreed. Yeah. And I I agree with you. I I think you and I and all of the other GLTA squirrel friends are really (laughs) looking for a few women to sort of grab hold of mm. the tour and the titles and like be hungry as Chrissy says for more grand slams. So mm-hmm. let you know, let's get on it, Naomi. Let's get on it, Halep. Let's get on it, Bianca. Yeah. Those yeah, those are the three. I mean, Naomi watching her Instagram, I just love her personality. She is clearly a personality that I think a lot of people can really relate to. And she is thirsty just like bianca who's the third that you had mentioned simona simona yeah yeah but i i truly think it's like a naomi bianca situation Mm -hmm. that'll be a really good rivalry to see as the years pass so yeah so (laughs) post-match that that trophy presentation was awkward first carlos was not invited probably a, (laughs) a really good decision because he would have been heckled and booed out of that 22,000 seat stadium. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Serena did a wonderful job making sure 
that she did the best that she could to reflect the spotlight back onto the winner, which obviously was challenging for her in that moment because she felt slighted in that match. Mm-hmm. Um, but she did, a, I think, a good job uh, in in the trophy presentation to try and um, bring the spotlight back uh, to Naomi. And Naomi was obviously very gracious and, you know, apologized to the audience uh, for the outcome. Oh, my God. That breaks my heart. When I hear yeah. that, she, no player that wins a championship, in my view, should ever apologize to the audience for being the winner of the being the vanker of the person that the audience wanted to win yeah i think that's that's no no champion should ever do that yeah and i think you know what's so interesting about this sport that we love and that we have created a podcast for (laughs) is that it's the only sport where the winner and the loser i guess you know next to the olympics are on the court for an awards presentation or ceremony at the same time and the loser has to make a speech uh, <laughs> alongside the winner yes it's so true. yeah so it's it's always an interesting dynamic and this um in this case was obviously more so mm-hmm. okay i have a, i have a little question for you and i may be kind of skipping ahead a little bit but you know we had mentioned it before we talked about the serena simona wimbledon final last year where Simona routed Serena two and two. What did you think? Did you think that Serena's recent, like her loss at the U.S. Open to Osaka, had any bearing on her behavior that match? What do you think? Uh, against Halep? Yeah, against Halep. I don't think so. I didn't. I mean, I didn't see any sort of continuation of anything. I think Halep had a wicked game plan, and she just blew her off the court. And I don't know that, I mean, I think that speaks to people just feeling a bit more comfortable uh, against her. And, you know, Kerber had beaten her the year before at Wimbledon in the final. Mm -hmm. And she, you know, she's made, she's obviously a phenomenal player to come back from having a child and make four Grand Slam finals. Mm Mm-hmm. Maybe maybe I'm just thinking about the moment when they shook hands at the net and Serena was extremely gracious. I mean, Serena is normally gracious in defeat, but, you know, I think she was exceptionally gracious. And I think that she was under public scrutiny because this was her next Grand Slam final, again, to tie Margaret Court. And people were really on the lookout to see what her behavior was going to be should she lose. So I mm-hmm. think her being... like extra gracious to Simona was just kind of to temper the public you know you know the public opinion about her and her you know and her own temper during Grand Slam finals yeah maybe maybe I think yeah I think she was it was clear that she got outplayed in that match and I don't I don't I mean I don't know I don't know if there was any underlying intention about the media watching her in that that particular moment or just sort of graciously acknowledging that she was outplayed in that match. I don't Mm -hmm. know. All right. Yeah. Alrighty. So, I mean, uh, it was something that I looked at or discovered in acknowledgement of this match from Patrick Moradoglu was he said it was this match was great for the sport because it brought eyes to tennis that maybe weren't there. What do you think about that? The fact that the controversy added another layer because tennis doesn't necessarily bring you controversy like other sports do and that it brought a lot of eyes to the sport that maybe weren't there before. <laughs> I My initial reaction is like, no, I don't necessarily think that that particular incident brought new fans into the sport. I mean... Do we want, well, first of all, I don't know about you, but like I, I, I feel like tennis fans generally are very knowledgeable about the sport. You know, it's something that they've grown up with. And I don't think that because of one incident, you're going to get new people to watch it because they're thirsting for the next altercation. 
Right. I mean, I think I think honestly, I think that's a dumbass comment on Maradaglu's <laughs> part. I mean, I mean, it isn't it is in line with him trying to make a you know the UTS and it being more accessible and exciting and you know 2020. But like that Serena Osaka match, I don't think brought new fans to the sport because of what happened. I think he he was saying it brought attention to the sport for a few weeks. You know, it was on probably a lot of pages of the newspaper and it got more press than than it would have if the match was just sort of straightforward Mm -hmm. and who knows maybe some of those people who didn't tune in before are now interested in tennis to see serena try and reach that 24th grand slam title and maybe they maybe they got hooked on tennis after that so that you know there's potential but again it's one of those comments where you're never really gonna know you're gonna know in in the aftermath of that match that there was a lot more press and coverage to the sport at that moment Mm -hmm. for sure i i think that that storyline is an extremely is an extremely compelling storyline serena williams surpassing margaret court's all-time grand slam titles you know and it could not have played any other way i mean serena was rolling through those slams 18 19 20 21 and now her last few grand slam finals she lost kerber um osaka halep and for her to win that next slam is going to be even more momentous and i think she's gonna hang up her racket right after is mm-hmm. my belief so yeah and don't forget bianca be oh bianca yeah <laughs> four slams that is unheard of for serena yeah to lose four slam finals in a row of her finals yeah. yeah so i mean it's it's a nice sort of button put on the match to know that serena published an article in harper's bazaar talking about writing osaka uh, an apology which i thought was nice of her mm-hmm. to do mm-hmm. uh, she's you know part of the article that I've read from people.com why uh, it gotta be in Harper's Bazaar why, why doesn't she just email it to her <laughs> why it gotta be why it gotta be pu- I mean publicized? I assume that she I assume she probably sent it before <laughs> it got put into Harper's Bazaar she said uh, in the end my opponent simply played better which is what we summarized here in our little episode Um, Mm -hmm. She simply played better than me that day and ended up winning her first Grand Slam title. Mm -hmm. I thought back to my first Grand Slam. It's the one you remember best. It's supposed to be the most special. This debacle ruined something that should have been amazing and historic. Not only was a game taken from me, but a defining triumphant moment. A moment was taken from another player something she should remember as one of the happiest memories in her long and successful career my heart broke you know what i love serena but she didn't have to pub- publish that in harper's bazaar like <laughs> actions speak louder than words you don't, you don't have to tell the entire world that you're sorry to the person that really deserves that apology you can give her a call or talk to her in the tennis court and say hey girl listen I'm sorry for the way that I behave. You don't have to put that in Harper's Bazaar so that everyone can love you again. <laughs> well, I my think feeling. Maybe, I, I, I like to believe that perhaps she sent her the apology letter and then it got published. But she she published it with some sexy photos of herself in that magazine. <laughs> well, she she just looks so uh, fierce. Mm-hmm. All publicity is good publicity. Yeah. So that is our coverage of a match that <laughs> will go down in herstory for the drama that it was yeah good job that was a very thoughtful analysis with many layers like an onion yeah the the one other thing that we should talk about in relation to this match before we wrap it up is martina navratilova's opinion piece that she published shortly after in the New York Times where Dang. she said juicy just because the what, guys what did that lesbian say what's what did that lesbian say <laughs> just because the guys might be able to get away with it doesn't mean it's acceptable so mm. she challenged Serena's sort of position that we should compare what men do to what women can do 
and mm-hmm. that you know because men have gotten away with it before martina said doesn't mean that we should uh be doing that um she's so so she well let me just pull up the a quote that she says here quickly mm. um She says, I think the question we have to ask ourselves is this. What is the right way to behave, to honor our sport, and to respect our opponents? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I don't disagree with her. I think think in that emotional state, Serena might have thrown something in that really wasn't the place for it and made a lot of people question and talk about it, which I think is very important. But I do kind of agree with Martina. I mean, like, just because just because he's doing it doesn't mean that you can do it. You know what I mean? So, mm-hmm. Yeah, I would agree as well. I think, you know, it might be a bit opportunistic to write a piece like that that sort of takes um, that particular view. But uh, it's something worth debating and considering that we think about how people act overall on the court and how we want to uh, represent the sport. So Mm -hmm. yeah, that's, that's our, that's our show folks. Wow. Okay. Well, we want to hear what you guys think. Are you pro Serena? Are you pro Osaka? Are you pro? I don't really care. Are you pro WTA? (laughs) Like all of us. Yay. Email us at readyplaytennispodcast at gmail.com and let us know what you think. And, you know, follow them stories and shout us out on Instagram and on Facebook. Mm-hmm. And like, share, and subscribe <laughs> to this mofo. Yeah. We like, only do it for subscribe. you. We only, exactly, we only do it for you. And I just promise you, Jason, this week, you better watch out because I'm going to get back on that Jeannie Bouchard train getting her on the show. Yeah. Yeah, we will have to talk about that the next episode. But maybe <laughs> we can talk about it when I beat you on the court tomorrow. <laughs> We'll give you the update next time. Yeah. Okay, bye all. Bye. Hey, it's your serve. If you love this episode, be sure to give us a five-star review. And don't forget to share it with others and let them know what all the racket's about. See what I did there? And don't forget, follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Ready Play Tennis Podcast. See ya.